Well, we're nearly at the end of our series. Uh, Paul is rounding up his arguments and he's moving on to application. He's given the Galatians God's word and now it's got to make a difference in how they act towards each other. He's calling them to be an undivided church, an undivided people, and God is calling us to this too. Chapter five ends with hope, but at the beginning, he explains again the seriousness of the problem that the Galatians are facing. They were arguing with each other about circumcision, about whether they should eat together. Maybe under the surface, they're saying, do we really need to have a church that is got Jew and Gentile worshipping together, or could we just separate out? And Paul again is saying very strongly, no, the church must be united. So we begin by looking at verses four to six in Galatians 5, and then we're going to pick up the rest of the chapter later. Verse four, you who are trying to be justified by the law, have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we have hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Uh, This is a really bold statement. Remember, Paul loved the Old Testament. He had studied it all his life. He probably memorized huge chunks of it and he kept it, kept the laws meticulously. He was proud of his heritage, proud that he was a circumcised man. And yet here he is saying, in this era, now Jesus has come. The only thing that counts is faith in Jesus expressing itself through love. And in this chapter, he unpacks what that looks like. He says that the word, not the world, must define how we deal with these separations amongst ourselves. The spirit, not the flesh, will really change our hearts. And love, not the law, is the answer. So the word, our word, the Bible, not the world, must define how we tackle racism. We are people of the word. Our views, our thoughts, our actions must be shaped by the word of God. That's why we've gone to Galatians. And Paul here summarizes the law, the Old Testament, just as Jesus had done in two commandments, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Yes, he's writing strong words to those who are trying to force the Gentiles to get circumcised and keep the law. He's saying, no, you can't lay these burdens on the Gentiles because that's not loving them. That's forcing them to conform, to assimilate, and it undermines the freedom they have received through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's feeding the divisions and prejudices that had separated Jews and Gentiles over centuries. Paul argues from the word, from the key stories of the Old Testament, because he wants them to have a foundation, a framework from which to make decisions and act and live in their lives. 
He could have just, you know, kind of shouted to them, stop it, love one another. But no, he argues and reasons and helps them get faith to be a united people. And we too need the faith that comes from the word of God to live out as united people and not just go with the philosophies of the world. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that the world has nothing to teach us about race. In fact, I've read some brilliant secular books that have informed me, that have helped me understand history and uh, my own background, my own heritage. As a staff, we've been on unconscious bias training and that helped me reflect on my own kind of blind spots and deal with them, begin to deal with them. But ultimately we're called to be people who build our lives on the word of God. Now I do know that sadly over the centuries, even the word of God has been used by Christians to reinforce racism sometimes, to justify those terrible evils of slavery and segregation and apartheid. And that's been tragic and shameful. But we want to handle the word of God rightly and we want to build how we live on the word of God. You know, Paul himself, he'd, you know, he'd gone after the Christians before he became a believer and no doubt he based that on the word of God that, you know, because they were interpreting the, the Bible differently, he, he felt justified to go after them. But after Jesus revealed himself to him, he changed completely and he was compelled by love to go and actually tell those people that he'd once chased down and despised so that they could receive the love of Jesus. He went to his enemies with that great message of hope. And we too, if we're going to make a difference in this world, need to, to find Jesus and base our lives on the word of God and Jesus's love. The book that has helped me over the years is uh, Crossing the Divide. I would really recommend it for a way to get a, an easy read that gives you a biblical framework and it will also help you understand the journey Kings has been on because it was written by Owen who was a pastor at Kings. He now pastors a church in Brixton. So we need to get that biblical framework that will spark faith and will help us live differently. Uh, you, there's a couple of slides coming up with a whole list of Bible passages that inform us about diversity and race. I just want to pick out a couple. Firstly, right at the beginning, everyone is made in the image of God. That's fundamental to how we treat people. Secondly, God speaks often in the Old Testament, but echoed in the New Testament about salvation coming and challenging injustice. And the prophets spoke out against the people of God when they failed to address injustice. We're called to do that. And finally, there is that brilliant vision, isn't there, in Revelation 7 that we've touched on a number of times in this series, that one day all peoples will gather together and their distinctives will still be there but they will all be worshipping before the throne of Jesus. What an amazing vision.
how can we bring that heavenly vision down to earth? What stands in the way of that? How can things change? Well, Paul says it's the spirit, not the flesh, that brings real change. Let's pick up in Galatians 5 in verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness and orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Paul is talking here about the desires of the flesh, the acts of the flesh. He's not just talking about bodily functions. He's talking about the things that come out of our natural emotions, minds, our wills, our choices. They're part of human nature, the fallen nature that all of us carry. Just look at those words again in verse 19. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy. These are all things that we would expect to come out of a racialized culture. You know, factions means that we divide people up into groups and we just stick with our little group. Jealousy and envy and selfish ambition means we compare ourselves to somebody else. We want what they've got. So we take it and we make it our own and then we lift ourselves above others. Discord, fits of rage, when that anger and frustration bubbles up into actions and words that cause others pain. Now, he's not talking specifically about racism, but he's talking about the stuff, the sin that comes out of our hearts. And remember, he's talking to a group of Christians. That's challenging. He's saying to the churches there, don't bite 
and devour each other. Do Christians do that? Well, yeah, they do sometimes because they're human, we're human. You know, a couple of weeks ago, someone asked me in the seminar we did, you know, is there racism in kings? Well, kings is made up of humans, isn't it? It's fallen human beings. We're raised in a racialized society. We're sinful, even though we're saved. And so, yes, these things come out of us. And we have to reflect and allow the Holy Spirit to shine a light on these things and, and convict us. We have to confess them and be forgiven. We have to fight against them. We have to kill them in ourselves. You know, often we try and control them, don't we, and cover them up, these works of the flesh. And it's only the spirit that can truly eradicate them and change us step by step, bit by bit. You know, the world has defined racism as one of the worst sins. So, of course, no one, none of us, we want to admit it, do we? You know, if you're, if you're caught by the world as saying something racist, you're categorised as a totally bad person and you get cancelled. It shouldn't be like that in the church. We need the freedom to be honest and to confess and to be forgiven. We are all a work in progress. We are all sinners saved by grace. And I know I do, and I'm sure you do, struggle sometimes to actually name and confess the things that are in your heart, the thoughts that go through your mind, the selfish ambition that you may have in your heart, the times when someone sits near you in church and you don't like the look of them and so you kind of don't engage with them. The people maybe you even dislike or hate or fear because they remind you of someone who's done something bad to you in the past. These are things that are difficult to shake off. They're personal prejudices. They are sins that dwell in our heart. You know, Solzhenitsyn said that evil isn't out there it isn't just in really bad people. It runs through every human heart. And each of us, if we're honest, given the right opportunity, can end up expressing some of these horrible acts of the flesh. So we must be ruthless with them. Of course, racism really takes things to another level. It goes beyond personal sin and adds power to prejudice. Paul added power to his prejudice when he took from the high priest the authority to go and chase Christians and imprison them. Most white people find this concept of, you know, white privilege hard because we don't feel we have any more power than anybody else. But culturally, our institutions have evolved over many years to benefit and maintain power for white people over others. This is rooted deeply in colonialism. This is systemic racism. We swim in this like a goldfish in a bowl. And sometimes it's really hard to recognize what's in the water. 
I lived in the, the USA for a number of years and um, I got a job working in an inner city, large public hospital as a chaplain. Most of the staff at every level of the hospital were either African-American or Hispanic. The chaplain's team was big, about 10 of us, and I was the only Anglo. So I actually felt pretty much at a disadvantage and was quite nervous when I started. The director of chaplaincy was an African-American woman. She was brilliant. She had a PhD in theology and she'd been a military chaplain. So she, she really knew her stuff and I learned so much for, from her over the, the years that I worked there. But in the first week, she took me to one side and she said, you know, because you're white, you will get opportunities and be asked to do things that other people in the department won't. She said, that's the way it is. Please bring other people with you and, and, and share those opportunities, in effect. I was like, no, that, that's impossible. That can't be. You know, I'm here on a temporary visa. I've got a funny accent. I'm completely new at being a chaplain. But actually, that is what happened. Within a few weeks, um, different units asked me specifically to be their chaplain. And I was asked to go on the hospital's board of ethics. And I got a lot of trust put into me. And I could do things. I was invited into many um, difficult doctor-patient meetings. And I realized then, for the first time, that I had a privilege as a white person, that I benefited from the systems that have built up over hundreds of years. It was, it was sobering. It was surprising. I also didn't think that racism could be in the church. But the first church that William and I um, ended up leading because there was no other leader to lead it was in Tottenham and we lived there and there was a small diverse church that we attended. It had been a large church but it had been badly affected by white people moving out. And I remember many conversations sitting with the older Caribbean ladies in the church who had stayed faithfully despite many rejections over the years as they'd come from the Caribbean and moved to Tottenham. I hadn't realized until then how mean and blatantly racist Christians could be or how tens, hundreds of Christians could just leave their local church and see it decimated because of what their neighborhood looked like. The attitudes and the actions of the flesh cause massive pain. And many of you have been on the receiving end of that. And if we're honest, sometimes we felt those things in our own hearts. And that's why Paul and why we have to challenge ourselves. He's like, you have to kill that stuff in yourself. Otherwise you will bite and devour each other. That's why Jesus prayed on the night before his, his death that his disciples and all the disciples that were to come through the ages would be one. 
that would be united by the Spirit of God, by love for him and his love in us. And he's still praying for us today, friends, because he wants to see us united as one people. And if we do that, if we just in a small way can be an undivided people, the world will look on and be curious and say, maybe there is something different about Christians. Maybe there is something to this Jesus stuff. And our community, our faith, our love for one another can bring others to salvation. That's how important it is that we do this. Love is the only way. Love not the law. Rules don't make you love people. The law we know can't change people's hearts. Only the spirit of love can do that. And there is so much to change, isn't there? You know, the research just keeps on piling up about the uh, bad outcomes in health or education or with the peace, the police for people of black and brown backgrounds. Only this week, you know, the big thing about social housing. It's just terrible to see the suffering that racism can bring into people's lives. The challenges are massive. And yet when I look around here, I know that there are people here who are nurses and doctors and health visitors and social workers and teachers and police officers. We need to stand with them so that they can live out this love and they can speak up with integrity, speak of truth and justice where they work. Many people in our congregation uh, you know, represent diversity in their companies and we need to pray for them. You know, we're gonna do a, a seminar in a couple of weeks uh, about this and try and network and support and help people. That each one of us can play our part. It might just be in a really small way. And I want to just get you thinking about some of the things that you can do differently, that I can do differently or do more of, that we can serve each other humbly in love. I think it has to start with the heart, doesn't it? And that means confession and repentance and receiving grace and being forgiven and forgiving others and being healed. And that cycle needs to continue forever until we're in heaven, doesn't it? But practically, we also need to get a biblical framework. We need to practice hospitality. If you're in a group, get together for meals together. Let's keep the doors wide open at King's. Let's have a big welcome for anyone and everyone. Let's build friendships with people different from ourselves. If you serve with or lead people who are different from you, listen to them. Help them be themselves on your team. Don't assume or stereotype. Learn your history and other people's history. Speak truth to people with grace. Challenge behaviour without condemning the person. Explain the impact on you rather than judge the intention. Ask God to show you how you can be an influence for good and actually dismantle little by little institutional racism in your workplace. 
Speak up for justice. Support charities that work for justice. Foster or adopt a child. Pray for justice. Pray for people who work in areas that we know are unfair and unjust. Cover everything with faith, expressing itself through love. Serve each other humbly, extending grace to all. That's what Paul calls us to do. In conclusion, the word, not the world, must form and define how we tackle race. The spirit, not the flesh, brings real change. Love, not the law, is the only way. Jesus, of course, was the word of God personified. Jesus lived each day in the power of the spirit, not the flesh. Jesus was love. We, we read in Philippians 2 what that looked like. He set aside his privilege, his power, and he came to earth. He moved towards us when we were still sinners, when we were still living and acting and speaking out of the flesh. He perfectly fulfilled the love, the law, not out of duty, but out of love. And he set himself to love us unrelentingly, whatever it would cost him. And of course, it cost him the death on the cross. He went obediently to that, that we might be forgiven, that we might become the undivided people of God, filled with his spirit, empowered to resist sin and fight injustice and change day by day by his spirit living and working within us. His love towards us will never, ever end. And he calls us to live a life of love. But that will cost us. Paul says we'll have to crucify the flesh. Jesus was willing to do that. And we too have to say no to hatred, no to discord, no to division, no to factions, no to jealousy, no to rage. Even if all sorts of bad things happen to us, just as they did to Paul and to Jesus. The power of the Holy Spirit, though, is with us. Hallelujah. He can enable us to live lives that demonstrate love and forgiveness and grace. He can fill us with peace and joy and self-control and patience and perseverance and kindness. Let's be faithful to the heavenly vision until Jesus returns again and creates a whole new heaven and earth and all wrongs will be righted and every tear will be wiped away and every heart will focus on Jesus and all peoples will join together in worship. Let's pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, I ask you to come and work in our hearts and minds today. Change us, convict us of sin, transform us. Lord, we pray that the fruit of the Spirit will be seen in our lives, that, Lord, we will be people of love and gentleness and grace, that we will have joy even in difficult times, that we will persevere uh, to see injustice dealt with, 
that Lord, we will have patience with one another. Oh God, answer our prayers and conform us to your image and help us to be an undivided people. Amen.